If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. This is State of the Nation on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. All right, welcome to State of the Nation. It's Monday. I hope you had a wonderful weekend. It is November the 13th, and I'm Brian McLean, broadcasting live out of Central Texas, here for State of the Nation on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. I'm joined by Steve Hook. Steve, welcome to State of the Nation. Did you have a good weekend? Yeah, brother. It's good to be back. Uh, good uh, Too short, aren't they always? But it is good to be back on State of the Nation here from the uh, Central Jersey Shore, coast of New All Jersey. All right. Yeah. Well, hey, I got a couple things I want to run past you here. You know, uh, James Woods um, put up a video of um, a triple amputee Purple Heart recipient being frisked at the airport on Veterans Day. Now, um, this is interesting because of the way that he posted the video. Um, one of our colleagues sent me this one, so thank you. Now, the the veteran in question here is a man by the name of Brian Colfage. And Brian is famous from We Build the Wall. He's uh, He worked very closely with some of our colleagues, Dustin Stockton, Jennifer Lawrence on that project. And they built uh, they built a section of wall amazingly crowdsourced it and that ended up him with him in some political hot water because he is now a political prisoner serving time in prison they put him in prison for fraud over money collected over the wall um and i've spoken with dustin about this before and all of the donors were very happy with what they did um, there was one like fake, they believe it's probably a fake donation for just a small amount of money, like $25 or something like that. And, and they raised like $40 million to build that segment of wall. Uh, anyways, it's very disturbing to see the, uh, the footage of him being frisked by TSA. He's in a wheelchair. He's missing two legs and part of one of his arms. And um, next to that video, there's another video running of Border Patrol opening the wires up and allowing illegal aliens into the country. I mean, what an insane juxtaposition that creates, uh, you know, on video, Steve. Yeah, well, I saw the video and the juxtaposition is ugly. Um, I, I Does anyone for an instant think that TSA didn't frisk Justin because of his political activities, namely building the wall? Um, it, you know, beggars belief that it that it has nothing to do with that. Uh, I have never in my life, uh, Hesher, seen a especially the U.S. government lash out so, so much so often with such vindictiveness against its own citizens as the Biden administration has done. Um, it's 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 utterly um, obscene. And this guy served his nation, lost three of his limbs serving this nation. Then he served his nation again by helping to construct a wall. And they're still going after him. It's it's utterly pathetic. Uh, I be, better be careful with what I say. Let's just put it that way. But, um, yeah, it's disgraceful. Yeah. Disgraceful. Yeah, it, re it really is. It's very sad to see. And in another one, I want to point out, also sent to me by one of our colleagues. Thank you again. Profits over people. What has America become? American patients being dumped off hospital property and hospital employee says she sees this a lot. 
um, quote, just off hospital property, dumped the elderly woman out of the wheelchair on the sidewalk and left. Minutes later, we shot video of her still in a soiled hospital gown and slippers, breathing hard under a blanket placed over her in 36 degree weather for stuff in a plastic bag next to her. Uh, the this is just insane. This is really how we're going to be treating our elderly in this country now. Um, that that one is uh, just maddening to watch. That's over um, at Wall Street Apes. If you want to see the video uh, expose that they've done over there on X.com. But I mean, can you imagine that, Steve? That's terrible. No, I, I mean, I'm trying to figure out. I, I was looking at this story. Hash, I'm trying to figure out. Who actually dropped her off? I mean, because she was just kind of dumped unceremoniously on the side of the road outside of hospital grounds. Was it a hospital employee that just dumped her there? I mean, because that's that's the part of the story that I was trying to figure out. I think that that's what the citizen journalist was trying to figure out, too. So what they did was they went back and they kind of staked it out and they watched uh, three hospital security people. Uh, with another woman and they walked her across the street off the property and then left back to the hospital. And he went and he interviewed the woman and she said basically that they won't see her. She has COPD. She can't breathe and she wants to be a patient, but they walked her off the property. So uh, apparently this is something that uh, we're going to need to keep an eye on. There's something really bad going on in our medical system. Yeah. Well, it sounds to me like she's probably uninsured. Uh, the hospital just doesn't want to deal with her. Um, and the, the, and and there you go. There's your answer. I've you know, I remember and you remember, too, Hesh, and we, we kind of touched on it last week. Obamacare was supposed to be the great panacea. That was supposed to be the, the, the end all be all. That's going to fix everything. Um, I said from day one that Obamacare was never about health care. Obamacare was about control. Um, just like just like green energy is not about providing energy. It's about getting control of the energy sector. Uh, same thing goes with this. Same thing goes with this. You see how you see how uh, compassionate they are. Uh, they just dumped them. I mean, it seems to me that she should at least qualify for, if not Medicare, I don't know how old she is, but Medicaid, uh, depending upon her uh, her financial status. But to just dump her, an elderly woman in a soiled hospital gown in a wheelchair. I mean, good God, man, that entire hospital board ought to be uh, brought up on charges, but I'd have to get the details of it. It's just it's it's ugly, though. No question about it. Yeah. Our country yeah, is absolutely. going through. a, You know, we're I, we are living in the upside down right now, brother. I mean, we just are, uh, you know, I mean, everything that could go wrong is going wrong. And then some uh, as this story kind of underscores, it's uh, it's pretty scary. Yeah, it really is. And lastly, briefly, before we bring Ruckus on, um, an American is ticketed for shoveling snow off of his property and his neighbor's driveway, and uh, he was arrested for it. He wouldn't sign a ticket. Three cops came to his house, uh, told him he needed to sign this ticket and appear in court, and he said, are you kidding? You want me to go to court for shoveling snow off my neighbor's driveway? He laughed at them. They cuffed him and stuffed him. So land of the free. I don't know. Not looking good, Steve. Uh, well, I, again, there's 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 a story. And I live in New Jersey where we have to shovel snow almost every year. Shockingly, not at all. Last year, we had one of the most mild winters 
Well, certainly the most mild winter since I've lived here. We we got nothing more than a dusting for the entire winter. Typically, we get between a foot and two feet of snow over the course of the winter. We'll probably get back into that cycle this week, this year. But I do know that shoveling snow is a pain in the butt. And if you're going to be helping your neighbor out to say, I'm going to help him out or, help, you know, maybe it's an elderly woman in a wheelchair sitting outside a hospital that's not a, not not at home to shovel snow. So I, this is just more absurdity. Police state, indeed. And you know what? I'm glad you mentioned it, uh, Brian, because we will be speaking to uh, Cynthia Hughes a little bit later, and she knows all about police states. We'll chat with her in the uh, in the second hour, I do believe. But just another another day in the in the upside down here in the United States. You said it, my friend. If you missed your favorite TNT radio show or interview, simply listen back when you want, wherever you want. Just visit episodes on the TNT radio website. We're also on all the major podcasting platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, Podbean, iHeart, TuneIn, and more. Now there's no reason to miss out on anything on TNT radio. Unbiased and reliable news coverage. It's the news I trust. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. San Francisco has erected barricades and fencing to secure the apex summit where President Biden and Chinese President Xi Jinping are scheduled to meet this week. Here with the story, joining us now is TNT radio news producer Adam Clark. Ruckus, did they get all of the riffraff off the street for this? What happened? They did, actually. They did a lot of things that they say that they normally can't or wouldn't. Uh, I thought Democrats were the ones who oppose a wall on the southern border. But I guess it's totally okay inside San Francisco, which is, of course, a city run by Democrats. They literally erected, like, practically overnight, a huge steel wall downtown to protect none other than Xi Jinping and Biden for their little meeting here. Uh, they also, as you mentioned or asked about Hesher, they cleaned up the homeless. I thought that was impossible. <laughs> uh, yeah, so photos, uh, you can see all this and videos show black metal fenced barricades outside the Moscone Center. That's where leaders from the 21 member Asia Pacific Economic Cooperation APEC group will gather this week to talk about how to better spur trade and economic growth across the Pacific region. Biden and Xi will meet face to face on the sidelines of the San Francisco summit hosted against a backdrop of icy relations between China and the United States. And as wars rage in Israel against Hamas and in Ukraine, against Russian invaders, not to be confused with space invaders. The decision to erect the temporary barricades faced criticism on social media. The account and wokeness, which has garnered 1.8 million followers on X, shared video of the black fence barricades lining the streets of downtown San Fran and noticed something missing. <laughs> the account wrote, quote, San Francisco's homeless population was entirely cleared out for Xi Jinping. The government can easily fix our cities overnight. It just doesn't want to. Uh-huh. End quote. Uh, there is another X account that pointed out something interesting. That would be Inconvenient Truths by Jennifer Zhang. Quote, U.S. taxpayers' money is being used to protect the quote-unquote safety of a communist dictator suppressing the voices of the public living in America. End quote. Mm -hmm. uh, noting California Governor Gavin Newsom's recent visit to Beijing, where he made a surprise visit with Xi 
Zeng alleged that the barricades were placed by the Apex Center in advance to prevent the public from protesting or getting too close to the Chinese leader's motorcade through San Francisco. Several reports say San Fran officials have been stepping up efforts to clear homeless encampments, which have long plagued the city's downtown through dedicated outreach intervention focused on the vicinity of the conference. Open air drug dealing and homelessness have long troubled business owners and residents across the city. But it would appear, gentlemen, that only if you are the leader of a communist country um, and, you know, the dictator wannabe leader of our own country, uh, that's all we're going to, you know, that's the only way we're going to clean things up. What do you guys think about this one? I thought when you said uh, protecting a communist dictator, you were talking about President Biden for a second there. But uh, tomato, tomato, perhaps um, this does it, it does illustrate that this could be fixed. This could be addressed. But I got to ask, where are the homeless people and the Fetty zombies now? Where did they move to? Is there another sect? Is the is the tenderloin now got? Uh, 2x the amount of Fetty zombies and homeless uh, sitting there on it. I mean, where where did they put all of the uh, tragedy, riffraff, and waste? How did they do that so fast? Uh, this begs many more questions than it answers. You're not kidding. It's 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 uh it's ugly. It's obvious, and it is uh, it's telling, isn't it? Isn't it telling? Here we go. We're going to clean it up because uh, our buddy, our buddy G, who uh, who Gavin Newsom just went over and visited in Beijing. Uh, it's like we are. Erect- this is how far we've fallen, gentlemen. We are now erecting our own Potemkin villages for foreign leaders to come see. We don't want them to see the truth of what was San Francisco. And Brian, you mentioned the Tenderloin District. So now we clean it up. We, we we spray it down. We disinfect it from all the needles and the human waste all over the streets. And I'm not talking about the people. I'm talking about the refuse they leave behind. And who knows where those people are. But now it's a shining city on the hill for at least a weekend uh, while uh, President Xi comes to town. It's pathetic. And it should be a disqualifier for Gavin Newsom going forward. And for that matter, any uh, any of these uh, these sanctuary city uh, governors and mayors. Um, I don't know if you guys heard, but in a related story, uh, the feds and the state of New York erected a huge, very expensive camp in Brooklyn in order to uh, house migrants. They took some of the migrants there aboard a bus. The migrants looked at the camp and said, nope, this will not do. And they are refusing to move there. So there you go. Um, but um, it was built with porta potties, school units, everything. And the migrants don't want to go there. It's, it's not quite up to their standards. So, Amazing. Yeah. Uh, Ruckus, there did, we are. What did Gavin Newsom have to say about this uh, once he was asked? Because I know he was asked and he had a press conference. Did you see what he said? Uh, I think somebody was trying to call him out with this whole, uh, they accused him of only cleaning up the, the town. Um, what did he say? He said, quote, I know folks say, oh, they're just cleaning up this place because all these fancy leaders are coming into town. That's true because it's true. End quote. That's what he said. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, at least we don't have to speculate about why this was done. It certainly wasn't done to help the people of San Francisco 
And Steve, I would wager it wasn't done to help the poor destitute people that live on those sidewalks on Hayes Avenue. Not at all. Not at all. It was done to, uh, well, like I said, it was done to create our own little Potemkin village and look how wonderful things are here in the States. And don't you wish you had it like this in China? Um, but you know, the truth is that if Gavin Newsom, when he went to, when he went to Beijing, you know, he had to be somewhat jealous. He goes, Oh my God, you've got kids playing basketball here. I can go tackle kids at will and play basketball with them. And look how clean it is here. And, <laughs> and, and meanwhile, in my neighborhood, I've got, uh, people, uh, using the, uh, squatty potty on the corner of, uh, Hayden Ashbury or wherever the hell it is there in San Fran. But at least they're clean for the weekend. We've got that to look forward to. So put on a good yeah, face. Absolutely. We'll put on our bravest faces and uh, know why, what actually motivates San Francisco to clean itself up. All right, Ruckus, thanks for joining us for that one. And you know what? Let's continue this conversation with our next guest on the other side. We're going to have California Senator Brian Dolly joining us. So we're going to get his take on all this out of California itself, right here on State of the Nation at today's News Talk, TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Rick Munn. I'm looking also at South Africa in terms of uh, ESCOM, which is a company that we have talked about a lot here. That's the South African electricity provider. ESCOM has posted a massive 24 billion rand loss for 2022-2023 financial year, exacerbated by a huge escalation in load shedding, which is basically blackouts, for want of a better expression, mounting municipal debt and skyrocketing losses due to criminal activity. That's both within the company, I would say, and outside of the company. The group presented its first full year financials for the 12 months ending 31st of March on Tuesday. It said the year was characterized by a significant deterioration of performance, including a steep decline in energy availability of 56%, down from 62%. So half the country are having difficulty getting any electricity at all, and most places are undergoing what's called uh, load shedding, which means for up to 10 hours per day, you could be disconnected from the electricity supply in South Africa. Locked and loaded with Rick Munn on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Affordable housing, we can build that. Sustainable housing, we can build that. At MIT Modular, we understand the importance of housing for all and the importance of design, cost, and functionality. Our goal is to meet the needs of our growing population by converting shipping containers to livable units. If you're like-minded and in a position to invest in something meaningful and life-changing, we want to hear from you. We are a team of professional architects, engineers, and financial and tax experts dedicated to offering unique solutions that provide a brighter future. Our Opportunity Zone Fund offers investors both real estate and operating business diversification five-year tax deferral on capital gains, annual tax benefits, and ultimately tax-free appreciation potential. There are opportunity zones all over America. If you're interested in learning more about our services, need affordable housing, or want to participate in creating a new vision for tomorrow, give us a call in the U.S. on 385-985-5702 or read more at MITModular.com. MIT Modular. We can build that. Today's News Talk Radio. Come on, let the man talk. We never censor our hosts. Good. Now, talk. Uncensored news. Today's News Talk Radio. TNT. Now, we just covered what's going on in San Francisco, and we see footage day by day out of the San Francisco Bay Area. 
fentanyl crisis going completely rabid, absolute madness, businesses shutting down left and right, entire blocks shut down. And it seems to many like there's no hope of cleaning up the situation until Chinese General Secretary Xi Jinping comes to town and all of a sudden the streets are clean. <laughs> Here to discuss the ongoing fentanyl crisis and Newsom's California is California Senator Brian Dolly. Senator, what do you make of the rapid cleanup in San Francisco as Xi Jinping heads to town? Well, as we know, everything with uh, Governor Newsom is just all show and, and no go. I guess that, that's the best way to put it is that, uh, you know, if you look at California, what he, do, what he did in San Francisco is what he's doing to California uh, statewide. There is, show me one thing that he spent money on that actually is working. Uh, homelessness, $250,000 per unit we're, we're spending, $20 billion, and we have more homeless. Uh, fentanyl, you want to talk about fentanyl, um, you know, we have we 500 people a month are dying from fentanyl in California. Uh, we brought legislation forward. Uh, died in public safety committee. So um, yeah, he's gonna he's gonna make a good show, clean it up. Uh, but as soon as the party's over, uh, he'll be moving on to his uh, campaign for president. Hi, Senator Dolly, Steve Hook here. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, we were saying in the lead-in before we brought you on that this is basically an American Potemkin village. What's going on there? They're covering up the reality of it just for the big VIP visit. Um, is there any indication uh, that uh, Governor Newsom is going to keep the streets clean once these uh, uh, once these visitors leave town, or is it going to go right back to where it was, or is that even being discussed at this point? Well, we're not hearing anything in the legislature, but obviously uh, his track record uh, speaks for itself. Uh, they create crisis in California and then take credit for trying to fix them, and they don't even really fix them. I mean, look at the energy debacle we have in California. Look at the streets. There's there's not one thing uh, you can point to other than the fact that Governor Newsom and the Democratic-controlled legislature has spent a heck of a lot of money, $110 billion surplus two years ago, and we're in a $30 billion deficit. And what, what does California see for? Rising cost of energy, rising cost of food, gasoline. Nothing is fixed in California. And, you know, until the voters um, realize that, uh, you know, their talk is, is, is all it is, is talk. There's nothing happening. Uh, and we're going broken. People are leaving California, unfortunately, uh, for places of, of better safety, uh, for crime, uh, cost of living is cheaper. Uh, but California is a wonderful state. Uh, it's it's the it's the you know solid bowl of the world. It's it's everything you could ever want, except our government is failing its people. Yeah, it really is. You know, it's it's so sad. You know, as a as a Californian myself, you know, I've been out of the state for the last almost eight years now. And uh, the last time I went to the San Francisco Bay Area, it was 2015, and. I, even then in 2015, I started, you know, it's always had its seedy side and its problems and everything like that. I've been, you know, visiting that place since I was a young person. Uh, but in 2015, it was just like, wow, this has taken a dramatic turn. And I've been watching it from afar for the last eight years. And it's been really sad to see it, you know, uh, fall to where it is right now. Well, you know, you mentioned the rising cost of energy, food and gas. I mean, I have friends and relatives in California that 
uh, now consider Pacific Gas and Electric to be, uh, forgive the term, but a terrorist organization in the sense that their power will be off for weeks on end sometime. I think so I think three weeks uh, was the longest one I've heard, but it's like three weeks almost every winter. And now even off season, it's starting to happen with the power outages. Yeah, we're going to continue to see more um, failures in California. It's unfortunate. Like you said, it's, it is a wonderful state. Uh, San Francisco um, has got some serious uh, tr- rough roads coming because yeah. – People are leaving San Francisco. The, the business community is leaving. There are, are uh, infrastructure there and buildings that uh, sold for $300 million that are now selling for $60 million just as, as recent as two or three years ago. That's your tax base. And when you don't have a uh, strong private sector in California, which we don't, uh, over 300 businesses headquarters left California since 2018. It's Hewlett-Packard. It's um, Tesla. It's Oracle. These are giant worldwide companies that are leaving California and they're taking their employees and that tax base that they pay in California. You can't have a, 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 a public sector unless you have a good, strong private sector. Unfortunately, uh, the Democrats and Governor Newsom uh, have taken them for granted and they're leaving. And we're going to see uh, a real rough road ahead for Californians until we uh, get a grasp on the fact that we have to do uh, rest, less regulations and, and reduce taxes for businesses so they actually stay in California. You know, Senator, I'm reminded of the phrase, um, you know, Paris is great except for the Parisians. Uh, in California, it's Calif- <laughs> California is great except for the politicians, apparently, huh? Um, well, I've been here. Our family's been here for 93 years. I've been in politics uh, for 27 years. I was 16 years on the Board of Supervisors. Left my county completely debt-free. Uh, before I went to the legislature in Sacramento. Uh, but we have a one-party control. That's really the issue here. Yeah. Uh, we bring these bills forward and uh, they die. Uh, we brought fentanyl bills forward. We brought in, uh, you know, streamlining the process for businesses. Crime, I mean, it took us two years to get a bill. SB 14, uh, Senator Grove brought it. We all co-authored it. Two years to make it a felony to rape or sex traffic a, a minor. We couldn't even get it. We had to reduce it to a minor. If you're an adult, uh, it's okay to sex traffic you and and uh, rape you in California. Uh, it's not a felony. That's how crazy it is in Sacramento. And so I'm hopeful that, uh, and I'm seeing it. You know, look, I ran for governor. 24% of the state is uh, Republican, and I got almost 41% of the vote. So people are waking up and realizing we need a change. I just hope they do it soon enough before we completely uh, go bankrupt and we lose all of our uh, taxpayers to other states. Yeah, but you would have thought they would have figured that out. I mean, Chesa Bodine got bounced. (laughs) Yeah, well, your seat, your streets aren't safe, and people know it, and and they're they're gonna they're gonna react to that. Our schools are failing our children. I mean, I ask my constituents and you know Democrats, show me one thing that's really working. They can't point to anything. They can point to the fact that they've spent a lot of money and they came up with great terms about. You know, we're doing something, but at the end of the day, the results are uh, zero. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're seeing that as well. Okay, hold the line here, Senator. We have a headline inbound with today's News Talk, TNT Radio. The conversation continues. You guys are awful positive today for what we're witnessing. It's that division that they want to push. Now, TNT Radio News. For TNT Radio News, this is James O'Neill. The Israel Defense Forces say it delivered 300 liters of fuel to a collection point near the Shifa Hospital in Gaza City. 
but that Hamas will not allow hospital staff to retrieve the fuel, which is apparently necessary for the hospital. Rescuers were digging through dirt in parts of a collapsed road tunnel Monday to reach 40 workers trapped by a landslide at the construction project in northern India. Are you enjoying listening to TNT Radio? Do you think we're doing a good job? Then please let us know. Why not leave us a like or a positive review or comment on Facebook, Gab, or Getter? Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. We're joined by California State Senator Brian Dolly. Uh, Senator, I'm curious, you know, you talked about the safety of the citizens. A lot of people are really starting to feel concerned about their safety. Crime is on the rise. And as you pointed out, very difficult uh, to get something even like SB 14 in, which I'm surprised you even had to make legislation to make it a felony. Um, to not, you know, to sex traffic anyone, much less having to to segregate minors from adults. I'm seeing more and more tales from women um, who have narrowly escaped abduction at gas stations and malls in broad daylight. I mean, this is this is uh, pretty crazy. Well, you know, the Dem- Democrats in Sacramento are talking about well, crimes dropped in California. Well, well, yes, absolutely. If you decriminalize crime, which is what they've done through Proposition 57, which is what gave us the ability, or, or when it was passed, allows you to rape an unconscious woman in California, and it's a misdemeanor. So yes, if you take away crime as a, as a crime, uh, yeah, it'll drop, your numbers drop, but, but are the people safe? No. We know that the people don't feel safe. We've, you know, there's been a full-out assault on, uh, you know, law enforcement in California, and we're seeing the benefits of that, of the fruits of that labor. And unfortunately, Californians aren't safe and they know it. They know something's wrong. They just didn't know. Proposition uh, 47 and 57, it was the Safe Schools and Neighborhoods Act is what the title of the legislation said. Well, people were going to vote for safe schools in that, though. You can rape an unconscious woman and you can sex traffic a woman and it's a misdemeanor. Those are the tricks that Democrats have been playing on the voters in California. Um, Listen, I wanted to I wanted to kind of circle back about what's coming up with uh, with the APEC uh, crowd coming into town. Um, one of the one of the uh, points that Californians always were so proud to point out was that we are the fourth largest economy in the world. And we have, you know, and they, they always they always uh, you can sit there and say all you want, but this is a blue state. And we've well, that blue state went with a hundred and ten billion dollar surplus surplus is now down to a thirty billion dollar deficit. Uh, and as you mentioned, you've got people peeling out of there. Hewlett Packard, Tesla, Oracle, among others, are leaving and they're taking their jobs and they're taking their tax revenue with them. Um, and meanwhile, you've got a governor that when he's not eating at the French laundry, he is playing basketball in Beijing. Um, and he doesn't seem to really have a have a grip on the job. It looks like he's looking forward to his next job. You said that it looks like you hope that Californians wake up and that's the question. Will Californians ever wake up to this? Well, as I mentioned, um, you know, we've seen a shift. I got more votes as running for governor than any other Republican since Schwarzenegger. So I do believe that Californians are waking up. It's the, the, the critical question is, is, is it going to be in time before we completely go bankrupt? I mean, we have something we haven't talked about is pension debt. We have a lot of obligations. Um, your local cities, counties and the state is on the hook for pensions. And when the stock market uh, dips, uh, those pensions are at risk and, and the taxpayers on the hook for those, along with the fact that we had 
Remember the EDD debacle where they gave billions of dollars away to people actually in prison and um, the businesses community has to pay for that. So look, at the end of the day, we are the, the fourth largest economy only because other countries, uh, you know, Venezuela has gone bankrupt. And, and it, but at the end of the day, we need to realize that California is big enough to fail. They always say it's too big to fail. It can fail. Uh, our country can fail. We have a huge national debt. We see inflation skyrocketing in California and across our state or across the nation. So look, people are feeling the pain at home. Every day, go to the gas pump. We, don't, we pay $1.84 a gallon higher than they do in Nevada, just across the border. Those are real things that happen in people. So they have to wake up and have to vote uh, to, to change California. If not, you're going to continue to see uh, Gavin Newsom running for president, and he'll leave California just like he left San Francisco. Oh, God. That's, not, that's not very encouraging. Do you think that he has a chance? I mean, obviously, he looks good on camera. He's a slick talker. Last time you were here, I think we spoke about how he can say two conflicting things and somehow people don't notice it. I mean, what do you think he's actually got a chance? You know, unfortunately, I do un because I've watched him create a, a, a crisis, uh, energy, uh, EDD, people on our streets and come around and spend money and, and get credit for something they, they caused. So, yes, he's very smooth. I think that uh, people will, will only really change when it's really bad and it has to get really bad before. Uh, and I, I thought, you know, my question is, how bad does it have to get? And I don't know that answer because I can tell you, I have people call my office every day that are like, hey, my PG&E bill's higher. I can't afford to put gas in my car versus prescriptions. And, you know, all I can tell them is hang in there uh, and they can't leave. The, the, the crazy thing is if you own a home in California and you're on a fixed income, you can't leave. You're just stuck here. And that's unfortunate. We're supposed to keep our people safe, uh, give, them, give our kids a good education and live the California dream. That's what we're about. Uh, but we have to say no to some of the special interest in what's happening uh, across our state. And, and hopefully that will happen. Well, you're not kidding. And I certainly do hope that, I mean, Senator, I mean, you came as close to anybody of knocking him off. And when you say, well, how how bad does it have to get? I don't know. I'm thinking needles and human waste in the street is pretty bad. Um, I'm thinking all of these companies bagging out of the state is pretty bad. I honeymooned in California and loved it. Um Ironically, I went to <laughs> I went to a prison. I went to whatever the one off the island, the the, uh, the uh, what, what's that prison out there in Alcatraz. California? Alcatraz. Yeah. That, how's that for irony? I went to Alcatraz during my honeymoon uh, to my first ex-wife. That said, it's gotten pretty bad there. And I just want California to turn things around. But California is the land of the woke and it's got to be tough for somebody like you, Senator, who's obviously you have a ranch. You're a, you're a red, white, and blue American. This must just be so frustrating to you to know that San Francisco and Los Angeles and the, the immediate environs are basically dictating the entire state because folks living out in the on the east side of the state, predominantly, that's kind of a GOP conservative area, isn't it? Yeah, we, we picked up places like San Bernardino, and we won a lot of counties that we haven't won before. But I will tell you, even in San Francisco, even in Los Angeles, look, there's a whole bunch of really wonderful, awesome Californians who want to see change. 
Um, unfortunately, you know, our media is uh, biased to, I mean, when I debated Governor Newsom, you know, I had to debate not only him, but the moderators at the same time. So I think people are realizing that, you know, not everything that you see on social media or the news is, I mean, what you guys are bringing is truth here. And that's what we need more of that uh, education process to get out. Because at the end of the day, when you're paying more for fuel, you're paying more for electricity, you don't feel safe and your kids aren't being educated. Uh, people will wake up. I just don't know how long it takes. And when it flips, it'll flip fast. Um, but unfortunately, the big the big question is, is will we be able to survive it? Because they're running us into a situation where um, you can't tax businesses anymore. You can't take from hardworking people anymore. And that's that's going to be the real question is, is will we survive the down the downturn? Well, I must I, I certainly do hope you do, because as California goes, as so often the case, so goes the rest of the country. And uh, we need California to start turning it around and turning it around quickly. So, Senator Brian Dolly, I thank you so much. We appreciate you uh, joining us and we hope we can get you back. And hopefully next time we have you on, we'll be calling you governor elect. Are you planning on running again real quick before we let you go? I don't know exactly what I'm going to do. I will be in the fight. I'm not giving up on California. It's a wonderful place. Uh, we'll see what the future brings. But right now, I'm just focusing on uh, these uh, elections. My wife's running for the state Senate in my, my position. Uh, hopefully, she'll be elected. I think she will. But I will continue to fight for the wonderful state of California. All right. Well, God bless you and best of luck to your wife. And thanks for joining State of the Nation today. We'll see you next time, sir. All right. Take care. Take care. Well, interesting, Hesher. Uh, there you go. I mean, California, man, it's on the precipice, it sounds like, listening to the senator, and he lives there. You moved from there. Um, I don't know, man. I certainly do hope that uh, that they can turn that state around. But, uh, you know, uh, it's the people that live there are half the problem, especially in these big cities. What do you you live there? What You split. What 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 prompted you to get out besides the obvious? Uh, well, there was the the financial aspect, the uh, the power aspect. I mean, I was paying almost five hundred dollars a month to try to keep my house cooled at that point. And then they came through and they started mandating medical procedures for children to go to schools. And at that point, and they were threatening to do it to employees also. And at that point, we threw our hands up and we said, we're out of here. I'm not going to live in a state where they force people to take medical products. And I'm glad I did, because now they try to force people to take experimental medical products there, you know. So I was very glad to not have to have been there during 2020 and 2021. Uh, it's, it's an absolute mess. And it says a lot that a state senator come in and speak about it as candidly as we're doing here on State of the Nation, Steve. Yeah, you're not kidding. And there's just, so, you know, I mean, as much as I hate to say this, we could have just gone down a bucket list of a or a laundry list of problems there, a French laundry list of problems there, frankly. <laughs> uh, one of the things that they don't do in California is they don't manage their forest. And every year we hear about these wildfires and we're like, oh, my God. And they, of course, point to climate change. Well, the reality is they refuse to do any forest management, whether it's controlled burns or removing a uh, dead uh, brush and debris. They just won't do it because if you do that, you might lose the spotted moth that lives on, you know, on these dead trees. Well, yeah, but that's fuel. That's you're adding fuel to the fires that are going to be coming when the Santa Ana went. Ah, it doesn't matter. It's all they just 
I'm you know, they always say woke, go woke, go broke. It's more like go woke and destroy everything around you is is essentially what's going on there. What a what a great senator, though. And, and he did speak candidly. And I look forward to chatting with him again. Good luck to his wife. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Definitely. All right. That was Senator Brian Dolly once again, right here on State of the Nation on today's News Talk TNT Radio. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. Children, children, settle down. No more Trump chants. We really, really want to hear from these candidates on the stage, and they worked really hard for us tonight. Children, settle down. Last night's third Republican debacle proved in large part by the performance of Vivek Ramaswamy just how irrelevant these so-called Republican debates are. Vivek took the GOP and the moderators hard into the corner before boarding them. He called out Ronna McDaniel for her consistent track record of failure and offered to give her his time so that she could come to the stage and resign. And then he said to the moderators that they should be replaced by Joe Rogan, Tucker Carlson, and Elon Musk. But his best line of the night was saying, if you want to elect Dick Cheney in three-inch heels, we've got two on stage tonight, referring to Nikki Haley and and Ron disappoints us. Nicely played, Vivek. I see what you did there. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. My character, Shazam, knows all about growing up in a family full of teenage superheroes. They're bold. Where's everyone going? To fight crime. Okay. Adventurous. Shazam! There's never a dull moment. And no matter what happens, they'll always have your back. All they need is a place to grow and be themselves. And the best part is, you don't have to be a superhero to adopt a teen. Learn more about adopting a teen from foster care. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. You can't imagine the reward. Critically analyzing national affairs, this is State of the Nation with Steve Hook and Brian McLean on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, we have reached a point in the GOP presidential campaign season where some of the also-rans are starting to bag out. They've seen the writing on the wall. Of course, most recently, Senator Tim Scott decided to suspend his campaign. I love that term. I'm suspending the campaign as if there's a chance it'll ever come back. It was on life support from get from the get-go, and I liked Tim Scott, but he was never going to win. He's bagged out. For all intents and purposes, Trump is our presumptive nominee. And joining us now to discuss all of this is Rich Rubino. Rich, of course, is not just a great political prognosticator, but he's also also the author of five great books. And this is one, Rich, I got to get, The Great American Political Trivia Challenge. I would love to uh, to, to read that book. I'm all about, I'm a very trivial-minded guy to begin with. But Rich <laughs> Rubino, hello there, sir. Welcome uh, to State of the Nation. How are you doing? Hello, good, doing well. Thank you so much for having me on again. Okay, well, we're we're thrilled to have you. Uh, Now, we do know that Tim Scott's he's out. He hasn't come out and endorsed anyone specifically yet. I suppose he's probably waiting to see how it shakes out. Uh, Who do you think is going to be the next one to bag out, Rich? Uh, Well, I would think probably Asa Hutchinson, the former governor of Arkansas, who hasn't made either of the debates and is basically become a non-entity in terms of garnering almost no media coverage. Chris Christie has essentially become the only anti-Trump Republican that appears in those debates. I think anybody who would normally be looking at Asa Hutchinson will probably be will probably go over to Chris Christie. I just don't see where his constituency is. And I think once you get to the Iowa caucuses, I don't think he necessarily wants to be embarrassed. So I think he would drop out. 
You'd think Doug Burgum, the governor of North Dakota, who also had made two of the previous debates but didn't make the last debate, that he would drop out. But theoretically, he could be in this for another reason. Um, perhaps he wants to be agriculture secretary under Republican administration, something to that effect. So I could see him potentially maybe even thinking that there's some sort of a Hail Mary. And because Iowa is very similar state demographically to North Dakota, that somehow in the last few weeks he'll be able to um, – He'll be able to affect. He'll be able to effectuate relatively high numbers there, something like that. But um, I don't really see that he think. I don't think he probably even believes he has an actual chance of winning. I think his probably the other issue he has, and this is something Mason Hodgson doesn't have, is he actually has a day job. He's governor of North Dakota. And I think there's going to become a point where the people in North Dakota are going to say, "If you're not actually going to win, why are you spending your time on the campaign trail? We need a we need a full time governor." So I think he'll. My guess is he'll drop out the day after the Iowa caucuses. We kind of saw that same reaction to uh, Ron DeSantis as he went mm -hmm. into that first debate. Is that, are you still seeing a little bit of that? Um, I, I, it seems like that, uh, those saying that about him, Ron, you should be here in Florida working yep. on the state instead of your presidential race. I'm kind of seeing that fall off a little bit. Um, am I off on that? Or is that indicative of maybe, you know, his gaining a couple points. I mean, he's still way behind Trump, but what do you think about Ron at this point? Yeah, it's interesting. The interesting thing, usually when you're from, when you're a governor or a senator of a home state, almost every politician that's in your party in that state is going to endorse you, whether they like you or not. And you would think theoretically every state senator, every state legislator would have endorsed him because they know that he could potentially use his line under veto on any projects if you're somebody who has gone against him. This is fascinating. He's only had has one member of the entire congressional delegation of Florida who's endorsed him, and many former and many state legislators who had endorsed him have moved over to Donald Trump. This shows that there's some sort of an internecine fight between Ron DeSantis and the people of his own party in his own state. I mean, I've always thought that Ron DeSantis, and I still can't figure out why he's running this time, if he had run for a re-election, which he did, and he won overwhelmingly, served out his term as governor, and then in 2027 began his presidential campaign, he would theoretically could be the heir to the mega, whether Trump wins or loses, there's going to be somebody in 2028 who's going to be the heir to the mega throne, if you will. And he could have been that person. Now he's in a scenario where he's alienated the people in the mega wing of the Republican Party. So if he runs in 2028, I don't know where his natural constituency is, why he thought he could win. And now I understand why he thinks he can win, I guess, to a certain degree. He thought that he saw polls showing him this is about five months ago, essentially tie with Trump and say, I'm going to be the alternative to Trump. But he didn't quite count on somebody like Nikki Haley essentially one-upping him on that. So I do think there's going to be a scenario, though, where the people of Florida, the media in Florida are going to be saying, we need a full-time governor. If you're not actually going to win, if you're not actually going to be the nominee, you need to come back here and you need to, you need to essentially serve the duties that you, um, that you hold today. Yeah, it does seem to me as if the final three probably going to shake out DeSantis, Haley, and yeah. Trump. And then eventually Trump is going to take it. Um, I, I, we talk about natural constituencies. Seems to me that now that Tim Scott left, where do his people go? Are they more inclined to go towards uh, uh, towards Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis or maybe even Trump? It seems that uh, that 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 Tim Scott was trying to run the "I'm the nice guy on the stage" campaign, and he no doubt is a nice guy, and he's pretty effective as a senator. But he kind of got lost in the shuffle and he did himself no favors on the debate stage. So where does no. his support, little though it was, where does it go? That's a good question. And you could say the same thing about Mike Pence, right? Because they both appealed to the same constituency, basically Christian social conservatives. 
Um, in the case of Mike Pence, the advantage of him running the campaign that he ran, when he he attacked Nikki Haley a little bit, but nothing, certainly nothing dramatic, is he now continues to have favor among the Republican Party. And he could be at least in the long list of potential Donald Trump running mates. It's really he really never attacked anybody. When you don't attack anybody, you don't really alienate any certain bases. So I can see, but I, my guess is his constituency, what it was, will probably split asunder. Some will go to Nikki Haley, I think. I think the rest will probably go to Donald Trump. Maybe a little bit will go to Ron DeSantis. I don't think very much. I don't think any of it will go to Chris Christie or any of um, the other candidates. You know, he reminds me a little bit of the candidacy, though, that John Edwards ran in 2004. When John Kerry was attacking and Dick Gephardt and Howard Dean were all attacking each other, John Edwards was trying to be the sunny candidate. Whenever they would ask him a question, he would never attack anyone. So what happened? Essentially, he never alienated anyone. He didn't win the nomination. But in the end, when John Kerry was looking for a running mate, he picked John Edwards, and everyone had kind of a positive view of him. And that's the advantage of Tim Scott. He's somebody who had very little name recognition prior to this campaign. Now, whoever the Republican nominee is, they it's, it, they would be. I think they would be. I think they would. They're at least going to look at him as a potential running mate. Not that it's necessarily going to pick him, but at least be in probably the top fifteen list, something to that effect. Mm. Uh, that's really. Really well stated. It seems kind of uh, like an open goal sitting there with Tim Scott, perhaps for the party. Um, what what about um, what do you think about you heard during the uh, the the lead in during the break there? What our colleague Timothy Shea was commenting with regards to Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, he had some some strong words that were pretty impactful at that last uh, debate. Um, what what where where do you sit with Ramaswamy at this point? Yeah, I think, and this could be the Machiavellian strategy, is he could be waiting, he could be using this to get national recognition, meet benefactors so he can run for office in Ohio, potentially run for governor of Ohio in 2026. Mike DeWine will have served eight years at that time. He's term limited, so that's a possibility. I don't think he's, I don't think he's necessarily, I mean, obviously, he's the chance of him actually becoming a major contender and becoming president are very slim. He has had the scenario, though, in this race of being kind of, just like Chris Christie counter-programs, everyone else tries to somewhat hug Trump and hug, and hug Trump the person in many respects by saying, I disagree with him, I disagree with him on this. In terms of foreign policy, Vivek Ramaswamy is the only one who's really running as kind of a non-interventionist when you bring up issues like the Ukraine. He immediately goes after Zelensky. Um, he's kind of a rogue, too, in terms of when he, if you saw if you saw it and that was fascinating, I've never seen anything like that before, that in his opening statement, when he immediately attacks the chairperson of the Republican Party, who's in the audience, looks at her and says, do you want to come up and you can respond to this? I and mean, I've never seen anything like that. Um, potentially, and this gets me to think that maybe what he's really looking for is to become chairman of the Republican National Committee. He has some sort of agenda. I don't think I don't think he's naive enough to think he's actually going to win the nomination this time. Maybe it's a long game for him. He's running this time to get his name out, and then he thinks 2028, 2032, he'd be able to somehow he'll be able to somehow consolidate a certain constituency. I'd see, I don't know. But um, my guess is you're gonna see him either the chairman or you're gonna see him in 2026 trying to run for governor of Ohio, something to that effect. I will say though that his um his tit for tat with with uh with 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 Nikki Haley, I don't think that necessarily did him any favors when he talked about TikTok. And whether he was going after the daughter directly or not going over to the daughter directly, I think most most politicians and most viewers think that the kids are off limits. You should never bring up the kids under any potential circumstances, particularly if they're under 18. And I don't think necessarily think where that strategy came from and um, what he thought he was actually going to gain by that. Yeah, you know, Asher, now I know, Ash, you and I started nodding when Rich was saying RNC chair. We had discussed yeah. this very topic last week. And, and and we had discussed it even before the debate. 
that, man, you know, Vivek might be a good RNC chair. And then the debate comes around. And the first thing he says is he goes after yeah. not just Rona McDaniel, which, frankly, I think is 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 warranted because I just think she's been a lousy chair uh, in many, many ways. But then he immediately turns fire to the media as well, which was brilliant. And then after that, he kind of went off the rails a, 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 on a few answer, a few questions, one of them being going after Nikki Haley's mm-hmm. daughter. That did seem to be just a, an unforced error. Uh, but I could see him as an RNC chair. He's 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 very, very uh, he's very adept at, 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 at kind of putting his finger on the pulse of the uh, of the party's base. And I guess Ronna McDaniel, I, what is your thought on Ronna McDaniel going forward, um, Rich? Yeah, it's fascinating because he's not the only candidate that's called her out, not necessarily in a debate, but Ron DeSantis the last time around said that there should be somebody else to be chairperson of the Republican Party. Usually the chairperson of the Republican Party should be someone that has adulation from every candidate. You're obviously the main job of, a, of an RNC chairman is to be the referee. You're supposed to be neutral in terms of who the candidates are, but no one's supposed to say anything negative about that. Sometimes the person will go up and be the master of ceremonies. The first thing the candidate goes up and says, I would like to thank our wonderful RNC chair for everything they're doing. I've never seen one that's quite this divisive, and you shouldn't be divisive. In that, in that role specifically, you should be someone that's simply a cheerleader and then gets off the stage. She's somebody that's now become kind of divisive. And I was thinking about precedent for this. And remember, after Howard Dean ran for president in 2000, he started to take a little bit, take on Terry McAuliffe, or 2004 rather, Terry McAuliffe and the establishment of the Democratic Party. And what happened? Howard Dean, who was a front runner at one point in 2004, becomes the chairperson of the Democratic Party. And there's a movement, insurrectionist in the party who say, we need somebody who's not part of the Clinton wing. We need somebody different. They said, we saw Howard Dean run. And then Howard Dean actually became the chairperson of the Democratic Party. He's actually quite effective of it he presided over the party in 2006 when they took back the House and the Senate for the first time since 94, and then when Obama won in 2008. So I could see that scenario. The only thing is, if he does run for RNC chair, because he's because he's created so many waves in the party, I can see there being a movement, maybe somebody like Nikki Haley and his supporters yeah. saying, no, we do not want this, and maybe even having somebody else right. run. How about this? What if Nikki Haley runs against Vivek Ramaswamy for RNC chair?